Welcome to Circuit Break from Macrofab, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and nuclear batteries. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Doman And Stephen Craig. This is episode 418. Stephen was giving me a thumbs up there saying I pronounced that correctly. <laughs> Circuit Break from Macrofab. Hey, Circuit Breakers, we have an announcement. We are running an electronic design contest on our community forums, and the theme is food devices. Go to forum.macrofab.com to find out more information about the contest and how to enter. For prizes, there's over $5,000 in cash, free prototyping services through Macrofab, and the most important thing, trophies to show that your design was one of the best entered. There will be a link in the show notes on where to find more information about the contest and how to enter. And that is also sponsored by Macrofab and Mauser Electronics. So yeah, we're going to talk about the Betavolt BV100 atomic battery. Is it Betavolt? They actually, yeah, it is. That's that company name. Right. Is it Betavolt or Betavolt? I think I would go with Betavolt. So this is a atomic battery that is boasting a 50-year lifespan. And I think when we have a, like a discussion on our forums, forum.macfed.com, uh, talking about this, I'm in the camp of I'm waiting until like I can actually buy the device. And that has been your MO for a long time. Like anytime there's some kind of big claim, Parker's always like, when can I have it? And where's, where's data sheet? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Where's the, yeah. Is it behind a paywall, this data sheet? Or do I have to like, you know, sell my children in order to get the, uh, the data sheet for it? So, so I agree with you, Parker, when it comes to things of this sort, where it's like pretty extreme claims, like these really big claims, like a battery that has a, a lifespan of 50 years, it's kind of just like, okay, show me the actual data and then tell me when I can buy one and when I can actually check this out. Yeah, so the, the BV100 is a nickel 63 isotope battery that basically, I think that's a, it emits electrons, right? Yes, I believe it's beta particles and a beta particle is a charged, well, it's just an electron or a yeah. positron. The nickel 63 basically emits a, a high energy electron and then the substrate captures that and uses it as the energy that your device can use. Now, the BV100 only uses or only delivers uh, 100 microwatts at three volts, which isn't a lot, but that is a lot over 50 years. Sure, yeah, yeah. If you take time into the equation, it is a lot. But if we're talking about short periods of time, it's very little power. Yeah, that, that's actually one thing is... It doesn't actually um, say that's 100 microwatt hours or anything like that. It just says 100 microwatts. So it could be like a burst. Well, it could be. Yeah, you're right. But I would think that this nickel 63 isotope is probably a very continuous emitter. So so they're probably specking that. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm speculating right now, but they're probably just saying that is a continuous. It is capable of a continuous 100 microwatts at three volts. Yeah. And apparently there's plans for a one watt version and that's a year from now. So 2025, which is a lot more interesting of a device. Yeah. I wonder if it's just going to be 10 times bigger. 
Well, okay. So the size of this thing is 15 millimeters by 15 millimeters by five millimeters, which, uh, you know, okay. In, in my bad, it's gonna be a hundred times bigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, so it's not necessarily small, but for a battery that boasts 50 years, it's incredibly small. Right. And, um, the thing that's cool is the construction of this is sort of like, I, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of interpretation here, but it's sort of like a radioactive solar panel stack where they have stacks of diamond semiconductor materials that are doped such that free beta particles actually act in the same general way that solar panels do. And they just kind of package it into this little square battery-like device. So the concept behind it is really cool. It's all about power density and it's life. And it sounds like they have life taken care of. It's the instantaneous or short-term power density that is, um, I don't know, 100 microwatts at 3 volts it is difficult to sell in terms of its use, right? Because what is 100 microwatts good for in general. A cat feeder and reminder. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was thinking, okay, so obviously this is low power stuff. So like, I don't know, like a watch or something like that, right? So what was the cat feeder and reminder? Because I thought of that when I was looking at the notes earlier today. Do you remember? Oh, what? it was polling only nano amps. Really? Yeah. It, well, wait, nano amps when you put it to sleep, right? Yeah, but it was only polling like micro amps when it was awake. Okay. So it was not a lot. It was at the point where, I mean, I can't remember anymore, but it was the, because the, well, basically I put that project on hold because the whole reason I was designing it went away. I, I do want to finish it up. I, li but, I like that, that your, your project outlived its own usefulness, and that's not necessarily your fault, just because its usefulness changed not very long after you started the project. That's true, yeah. The, um, I do want to finish it, but the main hurdle I'm running into is the because I was using super caps to store the power mm -hmm. and the well, ultra caps is whatever the branding that it was that I was using. Anyways, the the leakage current was more than my device was pulling. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was that was the bad part. <laughs> is an ultra capacitor, is that a marketing term or is that an actual thing? It's an actual thing that's basically like a more improved supercapacitor. Hmm. They have better leakage, they et cetera. Like all the specs are better. Okay. So ultra, it's better than super. I, what comes after a turbo capacitor? Yeah, turbo capacitor. <laughs> Ultimate. Ult <laughs> well, it'd be like a like a horror movie. You know how it always ends up like by the fourth movie, it's like leprechaun in space. Mm. Terrible movie. Lep oh God, I actually watched Leprechaun 2 like a couple weeks ago. That movie is horrendous. <laughs> That's rich coming from you because you watch all kinds of bad movies. Yeah. He has a Leprechaun go-kart. Like it like branded? Movie. Yes. It like it has like Leprechaun features on it. <laughs> Wait, and, oh and this God, is happening in only the second movie? Yes. Oh man. God, that movie's bad. <laughs> Those are terrible movies. That's probably in the top five worst movies I've ever watched. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And and this is coming from Parker, who uh, who we had a conversation. Actually, I think it was just last night about all seven Tremors movies. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> None of those are my top or bottom five. None of them are my bottom wow. five. Wow. Okay. No. Even even the third one, which is probably... No, it's the fifth one. The fifth one's probably the worst one. I think that's the one with... It's Tremors in Antarctica, but they didn't have the budget to do that, so they filmed it in a desert and they put a blue filter over it. Just to make it look God, snowy or icy. That movie is not good. <laughs> but it's definitely better than Leprechaun 2. <laughs> The problem, okay, the problem with in bad movies, what makes them really bad that I don't like them is when they start violating their own, like, universe rules. That's when it starts getting bad. So, so, that's so why, you want like, consistency. That's, that's what you value. It just has to follow its own rules. It can make up whatever those rules are because it's its own thing. Yeah. It's a universe. Establish the rules a, and then stick to them. Yeah. Which is why the sequels of Star Wars are the worst movies of Star Wars because it just all of them break their own rules of the universe. So it's like, well, now it's useless. I agree. I agree. There, there's some pretty egregious things that they set up and then just ignore in the in the sequels. Ignore or or just violate. Uh, like <laughs> yes, like on perp, like characters. I mean, call it out in like this is episode nine. Call out this stuff in like episode nine, and they'll go, eh, whatever. Yeah, well, I get that they were trying to erase some things that were problematic, but they just end up making more problems. I don't know. There was there was a lot of shooting themselves in the foot when it came to those movies. Yes, those. But back to um, yeah, the Star Wars universe has fifty years batteries, right? <laughs> so so okay. <laughs> back on top, trying to figure out like I'm trying to work in my brain how we got here. I I really like okay. So we're calling them nuclear batteries here, but traditionally I've heard them called atomic batteries, and I love atomic, atomic because batteries, it immediately correct. makes me think like 1950s. Like you just snap to that, right? And atomic batteries have been around for quite a while. In fact, there's a, I was looking through the Wikipedia page earlier today. There's at least five or six different technologies based around nuclear decay and capturing it as an energy source. And there's a bunch of different ways of doing it. A lot of it just has to do with heat. They heat something up and cause mm -hmm. a voltage differential across things. In fact, I think some of the first atomic batteries were basically thermocouples, right? That they just got hot and a difference. And then, you know, uh, the thermoelectric effect, you generate a slight voltage on it. And if you do that enough, with enough thermocouples, you can actually get some kind of useful power out of it. Yeah, so these with the nickel 63, they're called beta volteric batteries, where they're capturing the, the high energy electron and basically converting it directly to energy. Right, they're skipping the they're whole heat, heat aspect of it. Or not, I shouldn't say skipping. They're, they're not utilizing that as the driving factor. There's another type of battery that's very similar to this, but it actually goes back to your analogy where these are kind of like a solar cell, a photovaric cell. Because there's actually a type of atomic or radiation battery that uses uh, photovoltaic cells. Tritium. Yeah, like I, I was thinking like the gun sights, you know, the glowing gun. Yes. Tritium yeah. gun sights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, you can, there's batteries out there that literally use tritium and then they put a solar, they put a solar panel facing it inside of a box and you get power out of it. 
Yeah, actually, I never really thought about that. But yeah, if it emits light and then you put a solar panel that is at least sensitive somewhat in that spectrum, that works. Yep. It's probably not very efficient, but... No, but it's a very simple version of of a atomic battery. Because you could technically do the same kind of style where you could sandwich, you know, solar panels with a thin layer of tritium and then you know, stack it up that way. It's probably not as efficient as, as these, uh, better Volteric style batteries, but it's, it, that's a solution. I don't know the, the idea of having like, cause people have tritium on like keychains and stuff like that whole concept doesn't sound like a great idea to me, but especially where you have usually keys in your pocket. Yeah. But it might not be high energy enough or it won't matter. It's the same thing with here. Cause the, the whole thing with uh, nickel 63 isotopes is you would have to pretty much like break the chip and then consume it for it to be even remotely dangerous to you. Oh, yeah, for sure. So because the, the, the basically the energy particles don't travel that far. They fall off really quickly. Cor- correct. And there's a high likelihood that this is going to be inside of some kind of a case. And, and you know, you'd be surprised at uh, looking at radiation shielding and how little it actually takes to block a lot of particles. You know, gamma rays are are problematic. They go, kind of go right through everything, but but some of the other particles are they don't take very much to block. And if you already have a pretty low emitter and it's inside of a case and it's inside of its own little battery shell, it's probably fairly safe. And, you know, unless like you said, unless it's something that you like swallow and it's emitting inside you, your skin is actually not that bad of a uh, barrier or a shield. I would say the probably the biggest problem with this is actually recycling it. Yeah, that's a good point. It going into a landfill. What are the rules on disposing of radioactive materials? Like throw it in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. That's that lead acid battery meme. Yeah, just throw it. Uh, have you ever heard of that? No, just throw it in the ocean. Yeah, you you, you don't do this. This is a joke, everyone. <laughs> the the meme is you gotta charge up those electric eels. So instead of taking your battery back to AutoZone, you just throw it in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah, this sounds totally reasonable. You gotta recharge those eels. Yeah, perfect. You gotta recharge those eels. Well, okay. So smoke detectors. <laughs> have a little pellet of, I think it's aramecium in it. And that's actually the, one of the main functions of a smoke detector is it has an emitter and a detector, and it's expecting a certain amount of radiation to cross a gap. And if particles, i.e. smoke or anything, gets in the way and reduces that, the smoke detector's like, hey, there's a problem, right? So every smoke detector has some small amount of radioactive material is it okay to just dispose of a smoke detector i've never had to so i don't know what the rules are behind this and i'm sure not all smoke detectors work exactly that way but you know in general is what i'm getting at there are things in our homes that have radioactive elements in the united states it is legal to dispose of smoke detectors in a landfill because they are not considered hazardous waste I guess the 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 pellet that they put in there is probably so so not radioactive, like it's just barely enough. Well, apparently, like well, Kitty, which is like a big 
brand that makes like smoke detectors and, and fire extinguishers, they say don't throw it away. <laughs> okay. Well, but how do you dispose of that? Throw it in the ocean. You know, and, and it's funny. It's not, <laughs> they're, they're, it's not uh, illegal. Well, I don't know how to say this because it is illegal, but also not. It's not illegal to own radioactive material. Like you can go on eBay and buy uranium ore. Like you can. It's or you could. There's some in the mountains just to my left over here. Like not that far away from my house. You can literally go find uranium in the mountains, and like it's not a problem. I mean, if if you're going out and buying lots and lots of radioactive material, that's when it's, it starts getting illegal. But in terms of disposing of it, that's just not something that the average Joe has to think about. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I remember trying to... I had a whole bunch of old paint, mm. like a ton of old paint. And trying to get rid of that was a headache. I eventually found like a recycler that would just take like the empty cans. But when I called up the Houston Waste Department or whatever it was called... Throw it in the ocean? Because you can't throw away liquid paint. Oh, okay. Okay? Yeah. And so what they wanted me to do, this, this, this is what the person on the phone told me to do, was to take the paint and paint something and then wait for it to dry and then throw that thing away. Really? Yes. <laughs> okay. Basically, turn, basically VOC. Yeah, all the, yeah, let all the stuff uh, burn off. Out. Yeah, out gas. Yeah, and then you throw away the the pigment basically the solids part huh and i was just like that sounds like a pain in the butt no i'll put it this way no wonder people just throw shit into the ocean <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't laugh but <laughs> but that's why because it's a some stuff is such a pain in the butt to get rid of so that's why like you just find tire because it costs money to like recycle tires Right. Mm, you can't yeah, just right. give tires away to the landfill. You have to pay. So people just literally throw them into fields. Right. Or they put them in the ocean so they can recharge the tire eels. Or they light them on fire. Oh, God. <laughs> Burning rubber is like the worst smell ever. Oh, it's awful. I don't know. I like thinking about that for a moment. Like, I like cars doing burnouts and I like doing burnouts in cars. This, some people love that smell, and I'm like, man, that's like the worst aspect of burnouts for me in a car. Yeah, and it's really intrusive. Once a car burns out, you smell that for a long time, and it's powerful. Yeah, burning rubber is like, I love the aspect of doing burnouts and all that stuff, but man, the smell is the one thing I just can't stand with it. Yeah. It's probably good for my wallet that I don't like I, that for that reason. Tires are not cheap. No, they're not. I like, so I'll put it this way. I like going to events where there's burnouts happening and I can just watch it. <laughs> just watch from afar with a beer in your hand. You're good. <laughs> and I just make sure I'm upwind. Okay. So 100 microwatts at 50 years. Like you were saying, like if you take the, the cumulative amount of energy across 50 years, that's actually quite a bit of power, right? It's, it's not insignificant. Yeah. I wonder if. If it's a hundred, let's just say it's a hundred microwatt hours is what we're getting. What's that end up being? Like how much actually total power is that? Uh, wait, a hundred microwatt hours. So a hundred microwatts for one hour. Well, like how, what is the actual like capacity of this battery? Oh yeah. I mean, you'd probably have to just calculate 
100 microwatts at three volts for 50 years, right? Basically half a million days or half a million hours. It's 438,000 hours. It'd be interesting to calculate how much like actual electrons are being, like let's say it captures all the electrons that the nickel 63 is emitting, right, for 50 years. Does that actually work in this 100 microwatts calculation? First, like, because they say the size is 15 by 15 by 5 millimeters. Like, how much of this nickel is in there? Could you actually fit all this nickel in there, et cetera? Kind of like smell test it. Oh, yeah. Like, basically back calculating, are they lying to us by (laughs) giving you numbers that are just ridiculous? Yeah. I do wonder, well, okay, so like the 50-year comment obviously the this battery hasn't been around for 50 years so it's theoretical based off of the half-life decay of of everything and yeah it could be it lasts 50 years but you can't get 100 microwatts at three volts for 50 years out of it yeah you can't just put a continuous load on it the entire time but maybe you could as the radioactive material decays that has to reduce right that has to drop so is it 100 microwatts for one year and then it precipitously drops after that? I, I assume there has to be some kind of decay curve. Or you have like double the amount in there that you need. Something like that, yeah. So your output's always 100 microwatts. Yeah, I don't know how you would how you would construct it where you could guarantee a particular load for a long time. It seems difficult. Or unlikely, let's put it that way. You just have extra. I mean, if, if, it, if it functions a lot like a solar cell, you don't have to pull all the power of all the photons pulling off your panel. Oh, no, yeah, no, 100%. So it would work the same yeah, way. Yeah, 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 100%. The thing, though, is if you're not using this battery, the fuel is constantly being used because it's just decaying, Correct. right? Yeah, it's just decaying. Yeah. So one of the initial things that comes to mind when talking about a battery like this is using it in a smartphone, right? That's That would be one of the cool aspects of a battery of this sort, where it's you go to the store, you buy a phone, and that phone has charge for its entire life, right? Like, it's just, that's it. And there's no way that you're going to hold on to that phone for 50 years. So it just has, you just buy it and it's always on. Yeah, if it has like, Three or four years of power. Yeah, at a minimum, right? So Parker and I kind of did a little bit of discussion before this of questioning if this battery has any kind of legs in terms of that kind of a uh, system. And really what we were more calculating is how much is like a quiescent across an entire, say, day? What is a quiescent draw that a smartphone would, uh, would pull from a battery? And, you know, assuming a typical like 300 milliamp hour battery in a smartphone being 3.7 volts, we came up with 3000, you mean 3000, sorry. Yeah. So three amp hours, basically. We came up with a figure that the continuous draw given a 24 hour period is about 125 milliamps continuous. So if we're talking about 100 microwatts at three volts, we're a handful of orders of magnitude away from actually being able to pull this off here. Because that's half a watt, basically, continuous on average. It yeah. spikes 
a lot more than that, for sure. Especially when you turn it on your screen. Beta Volt says they want to come out with a one watt version in a year. If you put in like, let's say a, the one watt version, and then you had a way to like charge up a reserve, right? So that you can, when someone activates the screen, it doesn't immediately saturate the battery. Right. So you charge up like, let's say a small lithium cell that can deliver like a burst of 15 minutes of screen time. You know what? That I would actually probably buy that. I don't really do anything on my phone. I might look up some Amazon stuff or like I'll ask a question on Google or whatever, mm -hmm. but I don't like chat all the time on my phone or play game. I like, I don't have actually any games on my phone <laughs> yeah. at all. I know everyone's different in that regard. Some people will use their phone more. Uh, like, I think I actually, I get like two and a half days of battery on my phone and it's a, it's a pixel seven. Mm-hmm. So I use way less than our calculated figure here. So like if, if it was like, hey, you know, you have three years of radiation energy in your phone, but you can only use like the screen for 15 minutes at a time every hour. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's totally fine. That would work for me. Yeah. If you never have to charge your phone, you buy it once, you're done. That's it. And you could use some stuff like, oh, what if you use like, you have like the high pixel density screen for like taking pictures, mm -hmm. but then you had like a e-ink display for like texting and stuff. Oh, yeah. So that's super low power that you you could, but doesn't need to be refreshed a lot and doesn't need to have colors and stuff. I would actually consider that just as more of a reason to not be on my phone. She's like, nope, I got 15 minutes. That's it. If I go anymore, <laughs> this thing blows up or whatever. <laughs> Well, it would just shut off. The screen would just turn off. I'm curious. Um, I'm curious to our listeners if if that was the criteria. You get it for 15 minutes, but you never have to charge it. You just buy the phone. You're done. Would you? Would you buy that phone if it was available today? If it had the dual screen I just talked about, where like there was like a, so if you were like texting someone or talking or, because that e-ink display won't actually use a lot of power. No. I would, I would totally buy it. That'd be, you know, now the only thing is like, I think the cameras part of a phone takes a lot of power. That's one thing I've noticed. Like if I've taken photos, like my camera is like, my phone gets hot basically. Cause I'm, it's pulling a lot of power to run that camera system. And also like video conferencing. Like if you're in like a Google hangout or something, man, phone starts cooking. Oh yeah. 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 So. Yeah. So I don't think you could do that kind of stuff on it. Yeah, and it, and if you're the all. kind of person that like you know you get in bed and before you go to sleep you watch a handful of YouTube videos or something like that, this probably would not work for that. No, it would not work either. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, phones can become just phones again. <laughs> they go full full circle. <laughs> yeah, but like a nuclear powered phone would be, I would buy that if it was just a phone and it had texting maybe. And I guess, should we even throw in data like, like a browser? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. It it goes it goes all the way back. In fact, okay, yeah, just just voice and text. That's it. I feel like if it was voice and text for fifteen minutes, you could absolutely use one of these batteries to charge up a bank, give you enough time. Oh, if it was like if you were just doing text and 
voice, you wouldn't even need a full color screen. You could probably just run it off like a, you know, like one of those old school TFT displays that was in a Nokia phone. Right. Because those don't pull a lot of power. Right. Yeah, you wouldn't have to have that 15-minute limit then at that point. It would just work. <laughs> it would just, yeah. It would just be a phone that's always available. Yeah. Always on. No charging required. That, that, and then it is funny, though, right? Because we still call smartphones phones, but nobody actually uses them to call. I shouldn't say nobody, but but I mean, that's a joke, obviously. But in fact, it's it's funny. When I started this, my newest job, which yeah, it's been about a year now, I'm I'm not young. I'm I'm 30. I'll be 37 soon. Uh, but I'm and I, but I'm one of the oldest engineers there aside from my my boss. And he's made so many jokes about you kids just won't pick up the phone and call somebody like you'll send an email. You'll send a, a chat to vendors or whatnot. He's like, just pick up the phone and call them. They're not going to hurt you kind of thing. I'm like, come on, man, I'll, I'll call them. I'm, I'm not that young that I won't do that. But yeah, no, I, I think it's funny that we have these things that we still call phones where the actual phone aspect of it is like the least used part of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I call them computer phones. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's totally what they are. Yeah. But yeah, I would say even calling them a computer phone is probably like I use the phone part. That's generous to the phone part. Yeah, because it's 50% of the name. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where it's like 1% of the functionality. So yeah, I'm going to wait till we actually get one of these out in the wild before you know, doing in too much more uh, thinking about these kind of devices. But it does sound like there's like, sounds like they want to sell them. So, you know, one application that I could see, there's a particular type of satellite thruster that uses basically a spark gap to send a little bit of jolt and move a satellite. It's good on really small satellites, like things a little bit bigger than a, a CubeSat, where basically you can use a solar panel to go to a switch mode power supply, you step up to a really high voltage and you can cause a spark on a spark gap. And that's just enough thrust to like turn a satellite slightly. I could see this being really useful for those kinds of applications when the sun's not shining or you're on the other side of the earth or whatever, and you still need to charge up your battery bank. So, you know, you don't have to use thrusters when the sun is shining kind of situation. Something like this could, could work for that. I, I see the limitations of the low power can be overcome if you think about time. If you just think of like, I have lots of time available to store up what this thing is doing, great. But in terms of just like consumer electronics, time is like the least thing you have. People want it immediately. They want it to do something. They want to step on the accelerator and go from zero to 100 miles an hour in two seconds. So it's it's not ready for that kind of game day. But the one watt one, let's keep our eye on this for, I guess, another year. But it, assuming the one watt comes out, that's when it starts to get really, like you raise an eyebrow and say, hmm, there's, uh, there's real application to this now. I wonder how expensive it's going to be. It probably won't be cheap. I think that's the other thing is how expensive it's going to be. Because a lot of the super low power stuff is also... We're like we're talking about like 100 microwatts, like let's say TV remote. Yeah, yeah, right. But the thing is, a TV remote can run off of one AAA battery that costs like 
10 cents for years for years yeah <laughs> and then some, and then and then when it starts acting up you take the battery out and you like roll it around in your hands and you put it back in and it still works for like another month <laughs> yeah that's true you shake it i don't know what that does but it 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 works you you redistribute the juices yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the other thing is you'd have to get past the perception of radioactivity, like people knowing that there's a radioactive thing in it. And like, say, if it wasn't a phone and you're putting it right up next to your head, would people just say like, no, I'm not, I'm not getting near that. Well, people don't complain about the radioactive stuff that's in like a smoke detector. I also think people don't know about this stuff that's in a smoke detector. Yeah. So you just don't say anything about yeah, it. You just, you just say it's a really awesome battery and they say, how does it work? Cause they don't worry about it. Yeah. They don't worry about it. <laughs> well, it's like the whole idea with um, quantum entangled elements or quantum entangled particles where like if you wiggle one, the other one wiggles no matter how far apart it is. That's the craziest. Like that's that's where I think is like the future of power is that. So wait, are you saying we're going to have massive storage banks and then we just quantum entangle batteries to those so you could take them anywhere else and then you have power on demand at a distance? That's no, that's exactly <laughs> exactly what it is. So like you would have a, a you know, your your substation or whatever that has all these entangled particles that are entangled with other particles somewhere else. Like let's say in a chip, right? And then the substation just like jiggles your electron, right? And the electron that's in your smartphone or whatever, it is jiggling now and you can pull power off of it. Well, yes, I see where you're you're going there. However, the I think the quantum entanglement just relates to the electron spin. So it's just a characteristic, yeah, but, but it's not a but once you have flipped one, I don't think you can reflip it back. In other words, yeah, I think that's the problem. I think well, the, yeah. the problem is what is it? The whole causality thing where you can't you can't send information with that. In other words, say if you take one entangled particle and you go to Mars and you want to send back a message saying I'm at Mars. There's I don't remember all the details about it, but there's something about the fact that that breaks causality or it breaks mm -hmm. the sending of information. The tanglement, uh, and so you yeah. can't there's no way to actually be sure that it wasn't you who observed the particle versus them causing the state to change. The, the real thing is, I don't know, is there a change in energy? Like, are you transmitting energy in some way by observing the state or are you just causing it to, I guess the wave functions collapse. to collapse and that's it. Is there any, is there any energy involved in that? Because maybe there is some credence to what you're talking about where it's like, I'm wiggling an electron over here. I'm putting energy into this one and it instantly transmits the same amount of energy to the entangled particle. Unfortunately, I don't think that's how it works because people would probably be like, people would be jumping on that real fast. Right. Well, I think they are. You, you know what I said earlier about the whole don't worry about it comment just a moment ago? I feel like <laughs> almost all of quantum mechanics is like, hey, how does this work? Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. It just does. <laughs> we can't actually explain it. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Here's a paper from 
2018 about quantum entangled power transmission. Oh, okay. So maybe that is the case where if, if, yeah. you, if you force one entangled particle in one spin, you force it to go both directions and the other one responds, perhaps there is energy transfer in there. Yeah, that's, I haven't read this paper yet. This, I literally just Googled quantum entangled energy transfer. Come on, Parker, you can't digest a quantum <laughs> mechanics paper in a few seconds and deliver me the answer. <laughs> and here's, here's an article about, and actually from last year, physicists use quantum mechanics to pull energy out of dot, dot, dot. Their butts? Energy out of nothing. Which is probably not nothing, but it's quantum entangled elements or particles. Yeah, I remember reading about this a couple of years ago and uh, being like, if that if we can actually make that work, that's what the that's going to be the new thing is is that's the future is that concept of quantum entangling a bunch of particles. And then you like rent or buy capacity, you know, 100 microwatts, basically, of of power at this chip and. There's probably still going to be steam involved because all power generation involves steam. (laughs) (laughs) Entangled steam. I'm pretty sure there's some fundamental laws that this is breaking because if, if you can instantaneously transmit energy, energy is still can be information, right? So, so that would allow for the instantaneous transmission of information. Well, I think it has to propagate still. It still has to propagate. No, that's the whole thing about entangled particles is they, they're instantaneous. There's no propagation time in between them. That's what makes them so weird. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's some... Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the experiment where they entangled particles and brought them up apart like uh, two different islands and, and were doing some kind of a test of the propagation delay in between them. And the result was that it was supposedly in- instantaneous. Yeah, this is well beyond our our knowledge base. Oh, we're, yeah, we're 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 totally in in the who knows territory here. Yeah, let us know in the comments how bad we are messing this up. Actually, better yet, if you are a quantum physicist, reach out and come on and tell us how we're wrong, and we would love to have you on as a guest because this is a very fascinating topic that I bet I would love. Parker would probably love. And I bet you our listeners would too. So reach out if you are or you know a quantum physicist that can come on and tell us all the ways that we're wrong. Form.macrofab.com. Yeah, podcast at macrofab.com is the email address. Yeah. I think if that is possible, I think that's actually the next, that's the next big leap for technology, I think. I mean, radioactive batteries are worthless at that point. Who cares, right? That's true. But that's what I think like, because... Radioactive batteries actually have been around since like the 40s and 50s. So not really anything actually new. Miniaturizing it and making it safer is totally new for sure. Yeah. Also, I think the the mechanism through which this particular one works is somewhat new. But the overall concept of taking a radioactive element and getting electrical energy out of that, that's not new. I think that's would be like the next biggest leap for me at least is because that actually makes quantum stuff like usable by for people instead of just being a theory kind of stuff. God be so cool. It would be. Yeah. You just go down to the local entangled, you know, 
facility, you know, and pour out a little, some entangled electrons and take them back and do something with them, right? Get a, get a, get a bucket and just fill it up. Well, it's got to be like, you can't look into the container though, because then you'd be observing them. (laughs) Because they're they're all useless. Don't look at it. (laughs) Yeah, don't look at them. Don't observe it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, uh, listeners, let us know how terrible we messed up quantum mechanics, but also like if this component becomes a thing, a real thing, if we actually buy it, how would you use it? How would you utilize 100 microwatts at 3 volts? Also, has anyone seen one of these or even played with one? I would love to hear your, your thoughts on that. Well, beta-volteric devices do exist. I don't know if you can go to Mauser or anything like that and buy one. Oh, no. Actually, can you? Can you buy so. anything atomic-powered on Mauser? Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, I bet you they have stuff atomic do, do, uh, well you can buy atomic clocks i was about to say clocks right or or rubidium crystal or what i am now i'm talking about out of my butt but can you buy like power sources also there's actually some companies working on those tritium batteries as well can i buy one doesn't look like it <laughs> so when one of the when beta volt actually comes out with the BV100 and we can go and buy one. We should just... I don't want to say we should buy one because we have no idea how much these are going to cost yet. Oh, they, yeah. They they could be extremely expensive. We have no idea. Yeah. Maybe someone out there will sponsor us to buy one and build something with it. Ooh, that'd be cool. Maybe Betavolt will. The cat, the cat feeder on Reminder? Yeah, yeah. The nuclear-powered cat feeder on Reminder. <laughs> So, thank you for listening to Circuit Break from Macrofab. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. So long for now. Later, everyone. And take it easy. Oh, and take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. Tell your friends and coworkers about Circuit Break Podcast. Or it should be the Circuit Break Podcast. Oh, who cares at this point? If you're still listening, thank you. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic you want to discuss, let Stephen and I and the community know. Our community where you can find personal projects, discussions about the podcast, engineering topics, and news is located at forum.macfab.com.